I stand firmly in the fact that I'm one of the best to ever do this for the culture, for my coast, and for my city. This is the best rapper in LA podcast. 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 And I'm your host, Merce. 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 What up, though? What up, though? Yo, what up? We are going to hopefully get into the music today. This is Brilla, episode 14. This is going to be a quick one, but I want to thank some sponsors. If you're using Slack or any other type of office or things to build with artists, Dropbox, consider using an app that the homie Will I Am um, developed called FYI. FYI, it's in your store. It's a little blue square with white letters. FYI, man, you could send files, voice notes. It's all encrypted. Uh, you can start a project with someone. And like, I'm working on a comic book. I'm working on a photo book. Um, Groundwaves, my music mentorship program, we handle a lot there. When I want to send the artist references on how I would rap to a track, it actually lets you play the beat in the background and rap at the same time. If you're an artist, that's necessary. So if you get time, this is another free non-sponsored ad just for if you want to sponsor me, this is the kind of ads I'll do if I authentically fuck with your product, but this is just something I fuck with. And the homies, Julie and Sean are over there. FYI, shout out to Will. It was another big influence on my life and my art. But check out the FYI app. It's helpful. It's better than Slack. Even if you're doing office type stuff, check out FYI um, just to support like a hip hop founded technological advancement. That was a commercial. We're back. The New Living Legends album should be out now. I made a mistake of speaking a month earlier, but they pushed it back. Uh, once again, the merch is fabulous. I still haven't heard the album. I heard the first three songs. The newest one is the best one with Static Selective on the production. And Dale <laughs> basically taking, I say taking my place, and rightfully so. I couldn't have come up with a better verse. Jump out the wedding cake. That's the surprise. Two glocks. Time bomb tape to my thigh. Men lie. Women lie. Numbers don't lie. But men and women add nuance. That's what you want. The clues on the board game. Keep playing or get wasted. Coupons ain't even enough to save them. The day of the dead. I'm saving his head. More like a trophy. Immortalize that. It's lovely when your friends are doing great music. But when someone you looked up to is doing great music. When we do the Hyro uh, tour episode from 98, I have stories about Dale. His evolution, his transitions, um, he is a truly like a magical being. Um, someone I thank God for, um, I pray for, and um, just lift up. I went to Hyro Day. I haven't posted. I'm so bad at social media. I got four kids, and I got this podcast, and I got Groundway. I got a lot of shit going on, so I was social media, although I am a, a, a voyeur, my contributions have been limited because I usually view it at late at night when you're not supposed to post or whatever the algorithm that rules us all. The Hyro Day was amazing. I spoke a little bit about it, but, you know, negotiations broke down for various political reasons of me doing it because I just called and said I want to do it, but I had some contingencies, which I probably should have let go of, but nothing had to do with money, but just some political things that I probably should have stayed out of. So I didn't end up doing that. The last minute, Sunspot got involved, and I said, yo, 
We talked about a number of money and I just, like God put it on my heart to do it. Showing love because I love hieroglyphics. My life would not be the same if it weren't for hieroglyphics, but specifically Dell. He's always, from day one, when I was nobody, nothing. I sound like I'm talking about Jesus, but I feel similar about the love of God. Like when you meet people who show love unconditionally and I strive to be like, like Jesus and, and, and kind of like Dale in some ways. Like I was a, a punk ass kid and he would just talk to me. I would ask him like, like when we tell the, the, the high roll stories, I'll get into it. But man, all of those dudes, Tajay, Opio, like I hopped a fence once. Side story, of course, we're always going off on tangents. I ditched my school. This is really LA shit. Maybe you guys did this in other cities. Let me know in the comments. I ditched my school, Hamilton High School, to take the bus north across town, kind of, to Beverly Hills High, where the homie Mike Karen had a radio show because Beverly Hills High. I don't know if you guys remember the show from the 80s or 90s, TV 101. Previously on TV 101. Hi, welcome to high school. I wasn't going to hand over the school paper to just anybody. You're the best editor I ever had. I want to get these kids in front of the lens where they can't hide what's going on inside. That was real. They had a news program and a radio station at their high school. Hopped the fence to sneak in. Shout out to Mike again. To meet Hyro that we're doing a press, press tour. And Beverly Hills was so connected. High school was so connected. That Souls of Mischief and Casual on their press tour stopped at this high school, which is dope. I wish there was more of that. I think... Uh, artists going to high schools on press runs because that's the demographic. It makes sense. Maybe not for the violent, vile music, but for someone like Sosa Mischief and Cash, it made sense. They are fresh out of high school. I didn't know. They seemed so much older than me. And they signed. I had a copy of Burnt. Um, I don't know if I got it from Double K. I don't know how I got it, but they signed that, which is the first appearance of uh, hieroglyphics on wax, I believe. I dare to earn what bring to St. Patrick and I make backs if they get caught rotten. Never on a new foot, but I love a blunt. I need no sugar crisp to get swift. So what with two syllables exemplifies a gift? Tajay, I suits those who try to kill my ladders. Ladders release up on your porch if you don't see. I respond with me to a distraction when I see one better than rerun. So what's happening? It's not where you're from. It's just how you come. Correct, respect the rough neck is not getting. I still have my casual autograph hanging up. Like, they signed shit, and it was just so kind even back then. I was a, I was 15 years old, man. So, yeah, that sentiment made me want to do Hyrule Day. And their first tour, as I've, all, I've said many times, the they were just like, get there. You guys can open for us if you get there. And out of respect, I just wanted to come rock at Hyrule Day and see everybody. I almost got to everybody, I think, except casual. Um, to just take a picture with a selfie for myself and selfie for myself and say thank you and God bless you and I love you to each and every one of them, man. And I think that needs to happen more. I know I started like the Flowers 4 series where I make songs for Guru or Rockefeller or People Under Stairs and there's a new one coming on, on Love and Rockets 316. Gifted unlimited, rhymes universal. They call me Merce, but never once did I go commercial. One from Harlem, one from Brooklyn, both from the streets. Two brothers came together, only goal to be elite. Three letters, ROC, together. If you don't know, people under stairs, you need to do your Googles. Check out the homies. Doing it in person was important and doing it with your actions. Like, I wanted to, you know, and then just, 
I walked around Hyrule Day spending money with people and all the booths tried to buy something from every booth I saw. And, you know, seeing Mr. Fab, seeing my homie Grimm, seeing Anacron, just being outside with my contemporaries, my old friends, fans, just, you know, supporting Tajay's mother has a line of children books. I buy every book she had, you know, like I just want seeing Lex and Jeff from Streetworks, just seeing my family because this is a big family and that's what I, one thing I do miss about Paydues is being able to get together every year. When Sean Price passed, it had been a minute since I seen him because we weren't doing Paydues, but I used to be guaranteed to see him every summer because I would book him. I book Boot Camp, book Helter Skelter, book Sean Price. I wouldn't book the same group, but I would, certain people I wanted to see so I would make sure I saw them and without Rock the Bells and without these festivals, there's no real way to have a reunion. So Hyrule Day was that opportunity. So I flew myself up there for the day, paid to get in, and then rocked the stage a little bit with Sunspot, bought a bunch of shit, shook a bunch of hands, told those brothers I love them, and went home because that is important to me. And uh, yeah, so shout out to the New Living Legends songs called The Return. The album should be out. Uh, I said it because it was brilliant episode 13 and 14. If you know anything about LA, there's the Sorinos and the Norteños. And I remember the last Living Legends song, I think I did. I said Crips, Bloods, and Essays, Living Legends, Trece. What up, though? And there were some people in the comments of even back then that were like, oh, the disrespect, fuck that shit, blah, blah, like God started gangbanging. And I just represent the southern part of Living Legends. I don't want to get into any gangster shit. And I'm sorry if it was disrespectful because that's the the Mexican line and the Latino line, and I maybe I cross lines, but I'm, I there are living legends. Catorce, they're 14s and 13s. Living Legends is a California thing. I represent unities between Bloods and Crips. 13s, four. I want everybody to fucking get along because I love my state and I, I love humanity, but all the infighting. So saying, so maybe I'm not allowed to cross those lines and I'm sorry, but that's not the intent. And I thought, oh, I looked at this was issue episode 13 and this episode 14 and Living Legends albums. I just thought I'd address that front facing. Like I meant no disrespect to whoever that was. I'm just from the Southern half of Living Legends and I give much respect to the Bay and all all any any fans we have that are involved in Norteño, Sereno, be like, I don't, I, I celebrate you as well. Red rags, blue rags, northern, southern, central, shout out to Fresno. I don't give a fuck about none of that shit, man. I just was wanted to put our slang and our culture in there. So if if Sunspot wants to say 14, because that's kind of like, if you want to do that, draw the lines, that's Living Legends 14, like we have on both sides. You know, we are bringing California and the West Coast together. But like I said, maybe I overstepped and it's not my line. So my apologies to those offended, but it just crossed my mind. And it's like it's like the Raiders. The Raiders have been up and down, and now they're in Vegas. And it's kind of Vegas is kind of California too. If fucking San Bernardino and San Diego can be as and uh fucking Humboldt, we should just fucking throw Vegas in because so many California motherfuckers and Hawaiian motherfuckers there. It's still, it's not a coastal city, but it's like kind of like the coast. Yeah. So like that's the, the cover of the new album is Raiders. All the merch is Raiders inspired because the Raiders have been California, and I see no division, even though I acknowledge. The, the tribes, I don't see a division, if that makes sense. Well, I say that a lot on this podcast. Maybe we shouldn't call the podcast if that makes sense. This is If That Makes Sense Podcast. 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 And I'm your host, Merce. 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 End of the beginning. I'm looking at the cover before I even start. 
And we talked briefly about the cover last week. I'm going to get into the toys, man. The block logo was done by Shane Sakanoi, I believe. I don't know what he's up to these days. This is something he developed around this time. In the background, as far as toys, I have fucking, uh, oh, God, I can't even think of his name now. Nice Guy 80's dad from fucking Reservoir Dogs. Like, that's... I was in a toys. That that uh Ronald McDonald doll is a doll I used to drag around LA and I found it when I was a kid. It was like my blankie. I loved it. And then I lost it. And I found it at a thrift store and I bought it immediately. The Stone Cold Steve Austin backpack. There's the crow, Brandon Lee. Really love that movie. There's a behind him is a guy holding a clear bat. That's a comic book character named Mage, and it was an amazing comic I was reading at the time. Um, but Matt Wagner did the comic, and the, uh, the character's called Mage. Kaneda, Tetsuo from Akira. Like, you know, these kids today with their fuck anime kill me. Fuck Crunchyroll. Fuck anime and all of, or, you know, One Piece being on Netflix. Do you know how hard it was for us to be into anime? Are you fucking kidding me? Man, the, you guys, and now it's like mainstream. Everybody has Dragon Ball Z stickers on their car. Well, fuck y'all, man. You was shooting with us in the gym, bro. When I, you know, was written Bow and uh, from Blockbuster because there was five anime movies. Fist of the North Star, how many times I had to watch that? Like Ninja Scroll coming out was like manna from heaven. Like, oh my God, a new, new anime. Trying to catch up on all the fucking Robotech episodes. Trying to find Dragon Ball Z when Funimation finally made it on DVD, um, a collection. Like, the excitement I had buying that box set. Because before you had to get a DVD that had a different world code. Before that, VHS that wouldn't play in American VCRs. Like, you don't know the struggle of... Uh, it's the Japanophiles, people who are in love with Japanese culture and art, ditching school to go to LACMA to see Japanese art exhibits. Like, my fascination with Japanese art and culture goes way back. And uh, so it's like, Akira was a, a big deal, you know? Streamlined Pictures presents a state-of-the-art adventure, Akira. Steel Wheel from Silverhawks, Darth Maul, Random Clone Trooper, um, Ben Stiller. I think it was Mr. Furious from uh, Mystery Men, the movie that I only saw because I had a crush on Janine Garofalo. Hi. Hi, you guys. Am I too late to try out? What time is it? I don't have a watch on. Yeah, sorry. You'll have to pretend to be a superhero somewhere else. Really? I see. That's fine. Since she wasn't in any many films, I thought the movie was trash. I probably should go back and watch it. Well, that was a complete waste of time. Like so many things we do. The Shaft figure, Samuel Jackson's Shaft, which I thought was dope, which is uh, the second time what I didn't realize was Jeffrey Wright. There's a new movie coming out and people say, it's Jeffrey Wright's best performance. And it's so insulting in the trailer. I'm like, if you knew this man's cat, like I saw Broken Flowers, which is a shit movie. Uh, sorry, uh, with Bill Murray though, but it has Bill Murray and Jeffrey Wright. I was a Jeffrey Wright fan. He played Basquiat. I didn't know. I seen him in Basquiat, and then he played Peoples Hernandez in the Shaft remake by John Singleton. Peoples Hernandez, come on down. More than fuck. 
This is Egyptian cotton, motherfucker. 223. This is like half you shitting at paycheck, okay? Step off, peoples. Seeing Jeffrey Wright in that film, if you haven't seen it, go see it. And yeah, this is before Breaking Bad, way before. Then me and my roommate, I believe, um, my best friend, DJ Herm, saw him on Letterman or some late night show, and he was black. Please welcome back to The Late Show, Jeffrey Wright. That groove got me, man. That groove, yeah, it was killing. I thought, and maybe I'm not Latino, so please, you know, look at maybe it's offensive. Maybe it's part Latino. I don't know, but to see him talking, it was like finding out the first version of finding out Idris Elba was Idris Elba was British. Some black comedian just said that. That was a moment. I challenge you to a dance off. Hands off, no trash talk, no back walk. On the black top, just me, you. That's all. No cat calls, no tag teams, no mascots. Right now, dance off. My moment for it happened in person. This motherfucker, Ninth, invited me to a session and he was making music with him. And I was like, oh shit, excuse my French, y'all. This is the nigga from The Wire. Oh shit, what's up, cuz? Like, I'm like, hey. He said, turned around with the British accent and was like, you know, telling me he liked my shit too when he was a fan. And, I, and he's giving me compliments, which is great. It's already like earth shattering because I'm a huge fan of his. And then he's in a British accent. I'm like, this nigga's not from Baltimore. Oh, sh-. my! I felt like ver- I had what people describe, and I hope I never experienced, who knock on wood, vertigo. But like, I'm like, my world is like warping. Like, this dude I, I admire is on television, one of the biggest stars in Black America at the time when The Wire was popping. Not that it's not popping, but before it was like a certified classic. It's telling me he likes my shit, but hold on. He's not from, a, he's British? British cuz? I was like, what the f- Fucked me up. <laughs> anyway, same thing I had when I heard Jeffrey Wright talk like a regular black American or a regular American. I was like, this motherfucker's not Latino. People's Hernandez is not Latino. Man, if you ha- you have to see that version of Shaft. Busta is one of his great roles. I wish Busta was in more movies. Busta was great in it. Yo, Chef, man, you gotta talk, dog. What's the deal, son? The deal is my life is fucked, man. You know what I mean? I ain't got no car. I ain't got no business. I can't eat. You done came by the apartment and shot up the whole fucking building. Sam Jackson, of course, is Sam Jackson in it. And rest in peace to Richard Roundtree. It's only fitting that uh, we talk about this this week. Look at God. Um, God bless him and his transition. Uh, yeah, and then there's uh, Wolverine in his samurai outfit. With, like I said, like... That was the first real comic book I purchased. I used to purchase comics from 7-Eleven, and they'd be all out of order. Booster Gold, I tried to buy as many Booster Golds, but I never had to order. Transformers, ROM, uh, Spitfire, Kickers, Inc., all these like weird comics. I would just buy what I could because 7-Eleven had no regard for continuity or preserving bags and boards and shit like that. 7-Eleven is, you know, I don't even want It's like uh, the dirt weed of comic book purchasing when you used to have comic books. It's like, you want to get high, but you know it's going to give you a headache later. The headache was like, I don't know what the fuck happened in issue... I got issue 5 and issue 10. I don't know what happened in the origin. I don't know what happens, you know, in between 5 and 10, but I'm happy to have a comic. It's like, I got it. I'm going to get a headache, but I'm happy that I can get high for 15 minutes. That kind of shit. 
But yeah, that was the Japanese, like Wolverine fighting the silver samurai, that like a samurai made of metal and Wolverine ripping through. I can still see Wolverine. Wolverine number two. The fact that Wolverine got his own comic, they let him smoke cigars and his haircut game was fucked up. Like, and I just overheard the older dudes at the comic store talking about how cutting edge that was for Marvel supposedly at the time. I, that made me get it. I'm in the process of eventually, hopefully, of turning this spot where I'm recording this into a comic book store just so that kids can have that feeling again where there's a place you can go where you really, we know you're not going to buy shit because you're a kid, but you don't got to be doing stupid shit and you can sit around and look at art and learn things and become passionate about things and ways of storytelling, expressing yourself or having, you know, some for it. Because when you're reading to me, there's a solitude to it. So, um, more shit like that because there's no record stores. There's no real like skate shops. Kids are just like Zoomies is cool, but it's not the same. I think they have a great employee program, but it's in the mall. Like you need somewhere in your neighborhood you can walk to, sit and have, hopefully not a soda children. Hopefully we're the last generation that is addicted to carbonated fructose flavored beverages. But, you know, come have, have, have a fucking water, some water and a, you know, I don't know, vegan mushroom jerky and chill out at my comic store eventually. Anyway, that's the cover. The end of the beginning. I forgot who did the letter. Somebody that's better than me. It's a great cover. And me with this amazing Merstall. And the end of that story is the, I, the Chinese dude asked me to give him that back after I shot the cover with. He gave it to me to approve, take home, play with, give it back to him. I don't, it, it was like, in Costa Mesa, his office in a warehouse. I go up to his office to sit to talk to him. He has like a cherry oak, like hand carved seat he sits in and like two dragons with jade balls in the mouth on the arms of the chair. It was definitely something probably that wasn't legit. Like no, but no, uh, no other like, uh, like things in the art. That was, this was the desk, this chair and like boxes in this office, in his office. It was weird. I sat down in front of him. He's like, cool, give it back to me so I can send it back over. They'll make them. We'll mass produce some time for the album. Dude dropped off the face of the earth with the only version of the doll that exists. So if you know this gentleman, if you're the person that hooked me up with this gentleman and we can find that. I think I met this guy at a show, but I was probably drunk. And he's like, remember me? I'm the dude. I was like, oh shit, what happened to the doll? Anyway, let me know. There's a collage on the inside. If I can go home and get the cover, I'll talk about the collage. I mean, I was able to do the way I was hand making my tape covers, like going to Kinko's and gluing shit, I made a full-on project, a collage, and then had it digitally shrunk down to fit the inside because it was a fold-out. Like, I got a 16-panel fold-out, full-color fold-out in my CD, you guys. I didn't have to pay for it. Thank you, LP. These are the these were the perks of being on Def Jux. So I made a collage, and it's like, I think I have, like, my doll humping a Barbie doll. Like I did all kinds of things in, with that collage. But I took a picture of it and then cut the picture out and I had post-its, I think. We'll get into that. Maybe we'll do that as a closing episode because there's all kind of notes and I was talking shit like I did on the inside of all my shit because that's what I do. You and I, the first song produced by Tate the Example, a young man I met through Z-Trip. When I came to the game, I was wet behind the ears. All I had was some raps that I wanted y'all to hear. Straight low budget, I was underground thugging it. You think I gave a fuck about a publicist? No. You think I gave a fuck if you dubbed this shit? No. Now the industry is running this underground shit. What? The industry is running this underground shit. Oh. Now, what that means is my crew wants a street team. My crew wants a video so they could be seen. And that was my dream. I probably owe Tate some money. I think I licensed a song and never got him his money. I think it was like in a Warren Miller ski documentary or something. So if you're out there, Tate. I'll make installment plans because I don't got that much money. I got four kids now. Or maybe I did. I don't remember. Maybe we never went in there. All that shit, but I remember that was, that's a highlight. Um, 
for me working with Tate because he was a friend and it was dope to work with him. The track, I start off with What Up Though and I start talking about how I hate doing interviews. I hate doing radio. I hate doing promo. I just want to make fucking music, man. I just want to be heard. I don't even really like performing, but I want to perform it because I want you to listen and whatever I can do to get you to listen. But the marketing and all that shit was not, I was already not looking forward to that. I enjoyed the the purity of making music and getting it to people. It was a struggle. But if you want to get it to more people, you have to do it. There's no religion without sacrifice. So what I wanted to do and what I, you know, what is it? it's in the great debaters and my mom says all the time, you got to do what you have to do to do what you want to do, do what you need to do so you can do what you want to do. And I wanted to have my music hers, so I needed to do the marketing. But, um, you know, interview, interviews, managers, lawyers, logos, promo, photos. Shout out to Lisa Sokransky, who uh, did, who was the Def Jux lawyer at the time. And I got to talk to her and later on found out that she was the inspiration for my middle school hero's platinum hit. Probably was a platinum. Lisa Lisa. Good <laughs> About a girl, bro, that came out to Hollywood to make it from the farm. She's totally fresh. Maybe, maybe she's from Atlanta, the Midwest. You know she's milked cows, though, dude. She's totally clean. It's called Lisa Lisa, the one I adore. I'm a stony, crusty dude with the mop on top. My melon's fully tweet, but I'll never stop. Stop trying to reach the nuts from coast. Shout out to Pauly Shore. I was in love with Pauly Shore in junior high. I went to junior high with, in Covina, California, predominantly um, predominantly white doesn't even cover it. 99% white, 80, 80, no, 90% white. There were some Latinos and a couple black people and a couple Asian folk. We love Pauly Shore's kids. Um, Can't Weasel the Weasel, pre-Encino Man, um, but the song, his single was Lisa Lisa. Graduating, they let us go to Magic Mountain, or was it called a, whatever it's called, it's not graduation from middle school, whatever, matriculation, I don't know, whatever, culmination. We got a Magic Mountain trip, and it was like, yo, I, I really feel magical sometimes. Oh, it's 2023, it's the 20-year anniversary of this album. We were walking out of a souvenir shop, and like we all we did our junior high school career was listen to Pauly Shore and make Pauly Shore jokes. Pauly Shore was fucking at Magic Mountain that same day. You couldn't have made the shit up. And me and my homies, like, it wasn't area, like, he wasn't big in our whole middle school, but in our circle of friends, he was huge. He walks up, it was like, we're like, oh, we're screaming. There's no Instagram. There's no fucking ready-made cameras. We don't have pen and paper for fucking autograph. And he goes, ah, school's out. Teachers let the monkeys out. And you dudes are the monkeys. And just walked away. And made the little sound with his mouth, bro. It was the m- most magical shit. I can, I'll never, I just recited it verbatim. This is, it was amazing. Maybe 1990. And Polly Shore's a big deal. But Lisa Sakransky was her, I guess, little brother was friends with Polly and he had a crush on her. So he made the song Lisa Lisa. And she did my contract for the end of the beginning, the full length. I think I said, Silent Deal, deal Memo via Facts. Or maybe that was just the single, the deal memo for the single. Anyway, 
Lawyers, logos, promos, photos, conference, contracts, constant combat, the cycle, cycles, burning me out. I'm sorry, burnt out at a very young age on the, the 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 nature or the business of this business. Now what I'm trying to say is fuck a middle man. I just want to make music and get it in your hands. All the bullshit in between is senseless. Just to get to you, I got to hop a few fences. Interviews, record fools, managers, checker fools, lawyers, logos, promos, photos, conference, contract, constant combat, the cycle, cycles, burning me out. I just want to rock the mic and turn the party out. Earn a little clout with the burner in my mouth. I don't like the faking and shaking, as my mother calls it. I don't like fast rapping also, but I loved this beat. Uh, and what I did for this beat, with this album, I just went to people I knew would give me cause beats because people still weren't beating down the doors to give me beats. And LP was trying to finish his record. When, this was, when I was working on this, he was, I don't know what, he was working on other artists' records, and he had to focus on his record because it's his label. He had to make... Fantastic Damage, which was is a fucking classic. So I had he helped me, but he had his own struggles to fight that would benefit us all. Well, not struggles, but work to do. Uh, didn't like fast rapping, but I had to rap to that. You know, Eli and Scarab. I thought I could rap fast if you listen to early Gypsy shit. New rhyme book, body falls across, lost and rotted. Never thought I'd write again, but brainwaves got not to do the schemes that I got plotted. Had to step back and take a deep breath. <sighs> Open my eyes and manifest what sets me apart from the West. The fact that merch rides from all and uh, our good homie, Savant, from Pasadena, I always uh, tell him, like, he was for real outside in the streets. He was way more in the streets than I was, but understood we were both dudes that came from the hood that weren't really suburban, you know? Uh, single parent, no parent household. Is, you know, his his story is, 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 is a testimony for real. But he was teaching me Kenpo Karate and and uh, teaching me things about the streets. And then he heard, I paid him some of the log cabin stuff. And he was like, man, this, this is not you. Be you, you know, you know, be you, nigga, like be you. You know, this is not you. You know, he's like, you see what's over there in the closet? You see what's like, you see what you're around? Like it was some real shit going on. He's like, this ain't you, bro. Stop the alien fast rapping bullshit. Do you. And that, I always tell him, man, that changed my life. I made Red Dots right after that and I just started rapping slow. See, I'm but one child from a broken home whose sole companion is a microphone. I roam the streets of Pele alone, and the only beef I own is past conflictions through the transcriptions left on stone. Now let me tell you the occasion when I caught an abrasion with these six peculiar characters. See, it always happens when you least prefer a test of your true skill of courtesy. I was sitting, maintaining my own realm as God tends to do. Yeah, I wasn't good at rapping fast. I barely have enough rhythm to rap slow. So rapping fast, but I think I pulled it off on this. Um, rappers out there, if you're there, if you're listening, ad-libs, ad-libs. One word, ad-libs, kind of not necessary. I feel like I've I've learned since like doing a whole phrase is better if you have to ad-lib. Uh, once we get to the next album in 316, Knife did not allow me to ad-lib shit if I remember correctly, but it's going to be interesting to go back and listen. But here I would say, yeah, this song didn't need me ad-libbing one words because some of them are off. And all this was done. Most of these songs were recorded in Ariel Rexshide's backyard. Blessing and Godspeed to his mother, who recently trans, trans, uh, transitioned. Um, but his parents, you know, it's not lost on me that there are two, you know, middle-aged Jewish people in the front house, and it's me <laughs> begging out rap, vulgar rap songs in the back, and she's allowing it in the back of their house. Everybody's parents, Garrett's parents, uh, that let us record at the house. Jesse Shackin's parents, all the parents, uh, Double K's mom, like that's one's mom. Like in this era, like I was going to people's parents' houses and recording, but Ariel was on his 
pathway, like to, to be one of the greatest producers in music in general to me at all time. And we did this album together in the Valley, his backyard, and I always like to acknowledge his parents and him. So I don't know how many takes Ario had to sit through with me doing the song, trying to rap fast, but we got it done. I love performing this song. I jump up and down, and at the end, the breakdown is so dope. I do a jump, spin, and do the splits. Also a tribute to my junior high self, loving MC Hammer. Can't touch this. Um, shout out to homie Tempe from Store 13. Well, I think he's he's mixed, but it, like a white kid that could dance his ass off. And we learned this. I think we learned those splits together. He used to wear hammer pants and go to the sock hops or dances at in Royal Oak Intermediate School in Covina. Can't touch this. So I always like to do those splits. I can still do them to this day. Little James Brown cheat splits, not full splits. Um, but cheerleader jumps and cheerleader and cheerleader jumps and James Brown splits are definitely part of and and punk rock jumps, which I stole from Fred Durst. All those part of my repertoire at this point. So I love performing the song, doing the Running Man, which I will never let die. Used to say a tribute to Will Smith, but that's a little tricky now. And then by the end, I say, by the way, Christina, get thicker for a nigga. That was inappropriate. I'm sorry, man. By the way, Christina, get thicker for a nigga. Come on. But yeah, at the time, I just preferred. And who gives a fuck about my preference? But yeah, I wanted Christina Ricci. I was still fascinated. And I felt like she was losing too much weight. So I guess that's bad body shame, whatever. I don't know. It was wrong. No justification. Just a public apology. Sorry, Miss Ricci. And yeah, you and I. Oh, I do perform. I started performing it with uh, um, Favorite Things by Mike Realm. And I can't find the instrumental anywhere online. I think they ripped it from the existence. With a da -na 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 -na. And then there's a super fast drum beat that comes on. Kind of like something, I think Al uh, Andre has a version of that too. So I started doing the second half of the song over that because I feel I get tired of performing the same song and I have a core fan base that you've seen me perform the song sideways, upside down, left, right. So uh, north, south, east, west, adding other instrumentals keeps the artist, if you wonder why we do it, keeps the artist to me excited. I know it keeps me excited and definitely, in my opinion, you guys can be like, like oh, I want to hear the same song the same way for the rest of my life. Maybe you do, but... At this point, this is also me. I was doing 200 shows a year almost, and this song was done every night. But it keeps the cardio up, rapping fast, jumping around, and it's a good energetic song. The chorus, me, 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 you. I used to do it just me screaming, and I thought, oh, this is a good time to say me, 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 you, you, you. I think Lucky on this tour was doing my backups, and I think he started doing it by accident. Even Living Legends, we talked about that. Like, we would jump in at weird points. I think he was jumping in at a weird point, but we didn't rehearse as much as we should have back in the day. Definitely me. I do not like rehearsal. I like to be in the moment. My core, my my foundation as an MC is freestyle. I love freestyling. So I kind of, I just like my show to be more spontaneous. And this is a thing that was spontaneous. And I think he kept saying, me, me, me. And I was like, that works. And so now it's become a call and response when I do it. Moving on to Dibs Did This Shit. 
It's about to get crazy. I don't know how long this episode is going to be. We may never get through this whole album. It may take us the rest of the year. Dibs did this shit interlude. It's great. It took me forever to get it. The motherfucker turned in the master on a cassette, I believe. No dad, no CD. This motherfucker is so grimy, backwards, old, and amazing, and analog that... I waited forever for this. I don't know where he got the samples for it. I feel like he pieced tapes together. Like you see footage of the Beatles at Abbey Road, like taping tape to the wall. I feel like that's how he created this. And I don't think I paid him anything. And I, that's it. I, you know, showed him love. Mr. Dibs. This is a tour story, which will probably be told again when we tell the tour stories. But I met him on tour. God loves ugly tour. My familiarity... And forgive me if I'm talking, I'm going to get canceled or so be it. I had no familiarity with white people, with, with the spectrum of white people. In California, in Southern California, the majority, oh, it's so segregated. So to you living in other places where if they say your country and the racism here is so different and so Hollywood and fake, L.A. is one of the most segregated cities in the world, in my experience. That is uh, supposed to be multicultural. Not the one. There's more segregated cities, but one that is allegedly a melting pot. It is not, and we don't even have a full spectrum. Like white people, for the majority of are are wealthy. I had, did not see poor white people growing up. I mentioned Cliff before, the one redheaded kid that went to elementary school with me and Linwood, or with us. And I don't know what Cliff's parents were fucking thinking. Same thing with Eli. I don't know what uh, Mama Joe was thinking sending him to South Central for magnet school, but I'm glad she did. There were not a lot of white people. Not that Eli was rich, but Eli, there was not, I don't, I didn't know the rednecks or country boy, like poor, lower proletariat, clo- poor white people didn't exist. Grimy, street, hood, the meth, uh, Harley Davidson in training, Hell's Angels in train. Though I didn't start to meet those type of rough hood, hood white dudes, and not hood like black scent. And I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that word, but not that kind of hood. Like just real rough and tumble, trailer park type shit dudes. Not that Mr. Dibbs is all that, but even white dudes that would fight people, I didn't meet. You know, it took. I always to go to. Florida for the summer with my cousins in the backwoods where my family's from. And I pop off, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, you can't do that. These white people will shoot you. And I, I was like, huh? White people being violent? Huh? I have to be scared. Of-. And then they're like, they start explaining like, oh, they carry shotguns in the car and you know, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, oh good old boys. I, I had never met any good old boys. I had never met any trailer park boys. I had not experienced the full spectrum of white America. Then I met Mr. Dibs. 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 Hi.
I died twice drinking alcohol. No, I mean, I literally died. I crashed my liver and died of congestive heart failure. I was dead for 54 seconds. Got back, managed my way out of that. I went about a year and then I'm like, well, you know, and did the same shit again. When you die the first time and, and you get away with it, it's super gangster. When you die for the same thing the second time, you're a fucking moron. I fell down a big flight of hardwood steps on and split my head open. I'm pretty fucked up, and but I had a, I had this big festival, like Atmosphere, Ali, Merce, Nas, all this shit, and so I did not go to the hospital. I still did the festival, which I don't remember. Apparently, I killed it. Went to the hospital, died again. Like, you went to your primary care physician, he's like, yeah, you should be dead. You, in fact, you're probably gonna die, so go to the ER, they'll give you a room. Called ahead, they knew I was coming. I drank the last beer right then. Like, I'm like if I'm going to fucking hospital to die, I'm buzzy. It was like Steel Reserve, not even gonna lie, I loved Steel Reserve. Drank that, went to the hospital, died again. It brought me back again, so then we're at about a minute 54 total time dead. Walked out of the hospital about two and a half weeks later, and that was it. That was seven years ago. Oh, yeah, and I'm like, I'm done. And uh, yeah, we had an incident. You know, I heard him talk and I heard things about him. So I, only, I knew Mr. Dibbs through being the first jackass. I'm going to say it, and I don't know if it's true, but before I was watching CKY, which is Bam Margera's brother's band, where like a lot of the jackass stuff comes from is the CKY VHS tapes. If you can get a hold of CKY one, CKY or CKY two, watch those. Those are the origins of jackass pre Johnny Knoxville and pre CKY. Whatever these videos were, they twelve hundred hobos videos. I don't know. There's some DJ videos that Dibs did, and Invisible Scratch Pickles, X Men. I loved hip hop. These were the things I sold at my hip hop store in Tucson. I watched these videos. Scratchy Seal from the ISP videos. Scratchy Seal! Scratch! Scratchy Seal! These were like comedy mixed with DJing, turntablism. The X-Men videos were more just focused on live shows and turntablism. The 1200 Hobos or whatever video I used to watch with this was people trying to, they would try to, they would throw up on each other, shit on things, fucking fight each other, sock each other up. Like, it was just pure, pure mania. Like, jackassery before jackass was a thing. So I'd seen those videos, but I just thought he was being a weird white boy. Then I, you know, I had met weird white kids before. I, I, you know, I knew a circus and CBS. Like, I knew some strange, and those white boys are a fuck you up, but they were, like, super weird. You know, like LSD, experimental drugs, weird. AWOL, all due respect. Everything's been done in the future has already happened. True it and tardy MCs are falling off feet to the demons lurking in the shadows of our history as an idiot human being. I will rely only on myself and nobody else. Prepare for the worst, but expect the best. The intensity level is hardly worth measuring. Away, 
And graffiti writers are the most insane members of our family. And most rap writers are weirdos nowadays. So I hang out with myself and a rafter and a belt. I love you all, but y'all, because you have to inhale the fumes. It has had an effect on you. Like, imagine inhaling all those fumes and then doing shrooms and LSD on top of that. Like, you are at a higher level of understanding. How about I put it like that? Because crazy is dismissive, as Dave Chappelle said. Our brothers have paid their dues and, and transcended this flame of existence spiritually and mentally. So I thought that's what I was encountering with Dibs. I had never met a white person with this many tattoos. I meet this guy and he's like, this is the, the, the head of my girlfriend with missing teeth. This is the mother of my children and blah, blah, blah. Like, all these ta like tattoos of gory shit. He's into horror films. I think he had tattoos on his head at the time. This is early 2000s. It's not normal for me. This was definitely before rappers were tattooing their face or even having visible tattoos. Like, AI was just, like, getting solid in the league and still everybody's pushing for Kobe, like, Cornrows were a wild thing in Black America and mainstream America. This guy was, you know, he played Black Sabbath. My first time hearing Black Sabbath in my life was on tour with him, and he did the War Pigs thing. First time getting into a mosh pit was because of the atmosphere shows. And he understood hood black people. I didn't understand Ohio. He was very much immersed in black culture as well. But he was himself. He didn't talk with the black scent, but he has a child with a black woman. So he's very familiar. He was an anomaly. He took up a whole seat in the van on the God Loves Ugly tour because he had bad knees from being a catcher. He was also on the Atkins diet before all this paleo bullshit started. Sorry to say paleo bullshit, vegan bullshit too. But all this diet shit. He was on the Atkins diet. So what he would do in the van is he would go and get the fucking shittiest meat, whether it was jerky, but he would usually, if there was AMPM or something on the road, he would go in and buy all the meat products, like the burgers and hot dogs and the hot dog, the AMPM, especially hot dogs or like in the in the plastic bag, microwave them, get in the car, and since you can't eat carbs on the Atkins diet, he would just start throwing the buns in the back. And my job, I think I was eating chicken at the time, but nothing else. Uh, he would throw the buns over the seat in the van and say, chippy buns! And we would have to go and, uh, I can't even do his voice, and we would take the bun, pick the buns up off the floor of the van or whatever, or catch them, and then stuff potato chips in them and eat potato chip sandwiches because he couldn't have the carbs. He ate cheese and meat. At the time, he didn't drink. He had tattoos all over his body. He was straight edge. I had never met anyone straight edge. I didn't know what straight edge meant. I didn't know what the difference between hardcore, heavy metal, ska, pop punk. I didn't know shit about fuck. Rock and roll, it was a guitar music to me. The only person I knew and who played the guitar is Prince. I was 
tossed into the deep end of white culture, but my lifeguard was a man who was familiar with black culture, Mr. Dibbs, who was able to hold me afloat and reference hood things to help me to understand hardcore and gang, hardcore gangs, FSU, DMS. Like, I'm learning all this shit over the years of meeting this guy. But also, I've seen it on video. I've still never been around white people that get down. This story will get told again when we do the tour stories. God loves, I was on tour with Mr. Dibbs and Sean for, I would say, a space of two years. We did God Loves Ugly. We did the Warp Tour. It was a whole just moment in my life. Uh, era. All this talk, we get, a lot of it showed up on the Warp Tour. I don't know if we had any physical things. I don't know what I can talk about. But I feel like before this album came out, yeah, I had seen him. Someone decided to write on our bus. It was on for me. I was definitely, you know, had a moment where I, like, go go full. I don't like to use the N-word, so I'm, I don't know, crip out. Like, I just crip out, like, oh, cuz. Like, I'm hot, chasing, I'm running. And then Jaybird and Dibs actually start running with me. I'm like, oh, shit, the white boys with the bullshit. Let's go. They're like, go this way. We'll cut them off. So I took the long way, trying to be faster. They went through the alley. We cut them off. But by the time I get there, I don't know if I'm allowed to tell the story. Uh, yeah, I'm going to tell the story. I'm not going to say the city. Maybe. I don't know. The statute of limitations. Yo, the motherfucker has this dude yoked up by his throat. It's like trying to take off his shoes. He's like, give me your shoes. And I think it's, I guess it's an idea line. I don't know. He's like, you're a quilt. You know what that means? You're bitch made. Like, choking this dude up, feet off the floor, simultaneously, like, taking off his shoes, trying to take his shoes. Bro, never seen an aggressive white dude, like, getting down. People get their licks in. I'm, like, standing back, the police, I'm like, police, yo, 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 police, chill, chill, chill. I'm like, I'm not going to be the black guy doing this guy's getting, I'm not jumping in. I also don't like to jump people. Like, you're getting your just desserts right now, little man. You thought you could ride it. Like, why ride on our bus? We have to pay for that shit. This is justice. It's getting submitted out or whatever. Like, it's getting delivered. I am pleased. Cops come up. This motherfucker Dibs looks at the cops, looks back at the dude, and punches Gus again in front of the police, bro. I'm like, what is going on? The cops go, what happened here? I'm like, yo, he rode on our bus. And the cops turn around and walk away, bro. I had never seen no shit like this, bro. I, you could, I don't know if it's white privilege, but it's different when it's not a, it was on the other side of the law. It was uh, like, like real life Punisher shit to me. I was dying laughing. I hate to use that term, but uh, yeah, there's more shit going on tonight, but that's the type of shit I saw. But I, I think I'll stick with this story. God Loves Ugly Tour. After, because I just told this story a couple weeks ago. I got dope sick. I wasn't supposed to stay on the tour. I got a little better. I was trying to stay on the tour because I was having so much fun. And I wanted, me and Dibs have become friends by now. And I wanted to get to Cincinnati. This is before the incident where he, where, uh, there he beat up the dude at the, at the, after I rode on our bus. I had, I had to get to Cincinnati to see him in his element. This was the moment of truth. And, uh, the mosh pit was insane. Uh, 
the people I met, he was like, when you get to Cincinnati, there was all kind of fights. It was, it was wild. It was everything he said it would be. He was who he said he was when we got to, to, to Cincinnati, if that made sense. At the end of the night, I'm still kind of sick. So I'm like hanging out by the merch booth. Um, I've seen a woman, a, a woman pick up another woman and choke slam her on the monitors. <laughs> Blueprint told the sound man to suck his big black dick. <laughs> this is Blueprint, Al Shepard, fresh out of a cubicle, first tour, but still Columbus native, not for the bullshit. Oh, man. <laughs> it was a wild night. At the end of this night, one of the fans reaches over and snatches my hat and runs out. I pick up a chair and I'm about to throw it at him as he's trying to run down the stairs. I'm about to hit this motherfucker with a whole chair. Dibs grabs me and says, chill. He makes a call and is like, you see that dude running around? Yeah. He took Mercer's hat. I got my hat back. After that night, I was like, I got to go home. I can't even really defend myself out here. That's a sign I shouldn't even be here. I need to go home and start getting help. Um, as far as like, I knew I need to get home and start therapy, get a refill on prescriptions. Something had to change. I needed to go home. It was the longest tour I ever been on. I made it almost to the end. We didn't make it to Minneapolis, which was my goal to, you know, be on an atmosphere tour for the biggest album to date. The album's doing well. It's going, I think, better than anyone expected. Uh, it's God Loves Ugly. It's the beginning of a lot of change for all of us, or the end of the beginning, so to speak. I didn't make it. <laughs> but that night, we got in the van. Another, another, I'm glad I stayed for this long. Because Dibs or someone's in the car like, do you know who that sound man was? He'll fucking UFC, blah, 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 blah. And Prent goes, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. Nobody's undefeated in the streets. No one's undefeated in the streets. Lives with me. No one's undefeated in the streets. Truer words had never been spoken by someone who wasn't wearing Jesus sandals and a robe holding stone tablets. No one. He's I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Oh, man. He wasn't used to rap behavior or, like, social whatever cues. So many stories about Print on tour. But uh, that was, wasn't his first proclamation, but it was his most epic of the tour. So I was glad I was there for that. And Dibs later offered me some of that individual's teeth, apparently, from the guy who stole my hat. It was solidified. He was who he said he was. And I had to have him on my album. He was a, a friend. He was now part of my life. He was a fucking legend. Uh, is Turntable Wizardry. I used to watch his music in the Habit, um, Habitat and Alien Workshop videos. Uh, skate culture, hip-hop. You know, we were kind of different sides of the same coin. Hyper-aggressive, uh, hood, weird dudes. And uh, yeah, man, like, he, you know, he was also familiar with skate culture. He was definitely familiar with rap. He was familiar with black culture. Muslim, Islam, 5%, like his, his knowledge. And then he taught me about groups like Bad Luck 13 and like I said, the hardcore politics. We're on the Warp Tour, this motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> someone 
we're this is like Boston Warp Tour, so there's a lot of Dropkick Murphys fans. Somebody chucked a full water bottle. I used to do Def Cover, which is on this album, so it's relevant. Uh, it was out as my single. I had God's Work and Def Cover. I couldn't perform Def Cover, so Sean would let me do one song. During the 30-minute atmosphere set at Warp Tour, which was honorable and so kind to him. So I'm the only black person on stage that summer, on the stage, at the whole conference, concert. And no, Lonjanu Pratt from, uh, I think it's the name, LP from Yellow Card. But he's kind of light-skinned. I think he plays the fiddle as well, the violin. I'm the only black rapper on stage. And uh, I don't think the Dropkick Murphys fans, some of them were friends, fans of you know Boston's different politics. This kid, I only know it's a kid because throws, Mr. Dibbs is the DJ. We're going off vinyl. Maybe instant replay. I believe my song's off vinyl. We have Wax Out. Um, the Def cover, cover done by Coffee. Keep drafting. Check him out online. One of the legendary LA uh, graffiti writers. I believe he's from UTI. Coffee, K-O-F-I-E. He did this thing called Technology. And he has all these like little squares. Um, it was also made into a piece on the roll-down thing of the record store I grew up going to, Martin's Records. So the album 12-inch cover for Def cover was a mural on the roll-down gate in my hood on Pico Boulevard. Ran for a long time unsullied. Some, I guess somebody told me he wrote on it one day that I think he was trying to get a rise out of me. And I was like, okay. like I, I, So you wrote over my shit in the middle of the night after five, it ran for a long time. Or said he knew somebody who didn't or wanted me to get that. I was like, I don't even remember. I said, like, lots of times I'm just drunk, trying to trying to get home and meet, and meet cool people, not get into fights. By, by, by the time I heard that, I was definitely uh, more in control of my inner rage. I got a lot of that out in these early days. Kid threw the water bottle. I see it coming. I'm doing deaf cover. Full water bottle. Have you ever been hit with a full water bottle traveling from the back of a let's say, a 5,000-person crowd. But I felt like I got punched in the face. I was like, yo, boom. I think I kept rapping. However, Mr. Dibbs did not continue DJing <laughs> because he's high up. He saw the kid, went back to the kid, and once again, after I get off stage, I have a gift. Since the kid was little, he didn't fuck him up, but he made the kid, scare the shit out of him, took the, he gave me this kid's tennis shoes. I said, why did you take the kid's tennis shoes? He said, so that when his mother picks him up, he has to explain what he did. Wow. That's it. Dibs did that. Dibs did this to interview. Mic drop. What do you know? Produced by Belief, a.k.a. Jesse Shackin, who we talked about last week, who is still producing Love and Rockets 316. Feel free to hate me and to doubt me, but until you stood behind my plate and peep the way I truly swing, you could never out me. See, opinions are like rap careers. Everybody's got one, and most amount to zip. Even less if it's a hot one, like them radio songs that make a single long.
who was still friends with Ariel. So this was another full circle moment. We all were in the scapper mob together. Now I'm recording the Jesse's beats in Ariel's backyard. And uh, I don't know if I said Ariel was in a punk band called the Hippos. And I think he used the money he made from that deal to build the studio. The best engineer I knew at the time, still probably one of the best engineers in the world. Yeah, so that's a moment like 10 years later, we all met around 93. 10 years later or so, I'm recording in his house. Over our friend I brought us together, Jesse, I met him through Jesse. Uh, one of my favorite beats is me rapping over vocal samples, which I loved. I love that from RZA. And um, there's a KMD B-side. I keep forgetting the name of it. Q something, but has a vocal sample. I saw the thunder and heard the lightning. When I bought, I was a KMD fan from Peach Fuzz. My first, one of our first rap names was Sambo because I the little Sambo sample on the Mr. Hood album. Dell and KMD changed my life. Also, as I got into uh, a cult called the Holy Tabernacle Ministries when I was younger, and Dr. York, I, I heard the Dr. York references in KMD's music, so I got even more attached to that. Then they got dropped from Black, ba from Black Bastard, but I bought this KMD single the day it came out. I can't tell you. Since they were dropped, it wasn't really promoted in a mag. I don't know. I think I knew it was coming in the mag. When I saw that KMD, What a Niggy No single, oh my God. And the song was cool, but that B-side, when that vocal sample, I still cry almost when I hear it. I saw the thunder and heard the lightning, and I wanted to rap over vocal samples. I'm on the low like a sneaky ass nigga. X the unseen coming like the night nigga. Start panicking. I'm a practice Heineken. Suckers is froze like mannequins, so no shenanigans. Bucko, a rugged like stone face, a stucco. So fuck it. The mic is in my knuckle, so I keep a fist full of profits. My grip is on my pistol. And that's why I was drawing the ninth. That's why I was drawing this um, beat by belief. But I think we know each other on a on a musical level where, you know, I look at the 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 Spotify numbers and it's a no-brainer. When, you know, the number one songs on this album, people most listen to for the most part without features are the ones he produced. Okie Dog, he produced. Uh, Pussy and Pizza. Those songs, like the songs that go for me are songs that he produced because we, we've been vibrating on this that frequency, that creative frequency for a long time. Uh, the lyrics, pretty good, man. Uh, I'm not mad at but it, you know, it didn't age well. Party ain't a party if you don't bring a sack or your own 12-pack or there's 12 on the wax. I detail every track to make a sentence sparkle, giving thoughts to the thoughtful, which is little inner rhymes like that. Mainstream or underground, away team, hometown, it boils down to the facts. Whack is whack, can be, can't hold shack. And the party ain't a party if you don't bring a sack or your own 12-pack or this 12 on the wax. I detail every track. Like the rhyme scheme is dope, but also Thoughts to the Thoughtful is one a song from Fear Itself on Casual Casual's album, which was a favorite song of me and Jesse's from when we were kids, and I found a way to weave that in. Start with the boom. That's a sound from the stuff that we huff. It's magic. I'm dragging a folk to doom. And still refrain from being bluff. The tough gets not for being lame. We may claim to be all that. Call back. I'll get with you. Having an intimate rhyme, an intricate rhyme scheme and being able to make a subtle reference that nobody, I'm sure, got, maybe Jesse didn't even pick up on, but it was important for me to mention, reference that song because I was putting 
also me using God's work as our first 12 inch. I used to buy records and make mixtapes with actual records with this man. And my first solo 12 inch on my major label, on a label release, is something he did the beat for. Like that was another full circle moment. These are the reasons you do this shit. Because 30 years later, you're like, or 20 years later, you're like, holy fuck, we did that, man. Like solidifying that moment. Like we started DJing together or, you know, early on, but basically started DJing together. And now we have a song together on Wax. We used to geek out on new releases on vinyl and go to record swap meets and go record shopping together. Now we have a record together. That's forever. That's forever. And my kid asked my wife the other day, like, what? He's five. He's a real, real, real special kid, man. All of my kids are special, but he asked a lot of really great questions. Okay, well, what happens when they take all the music offline? How will I hear my favorite songs? He was asking, like, basically, I think he was asking, like, how can Bob Marley, how can he make sure that Bob Marley's music lives forever, which is a whole nother thing. And he thought we jamming was, uh, he was like, why does Bob Marley keep saying we German? Is he German? Like, but uh, anyway, all these things, this kid is brilliant. In my eyes, everybody thinks their kid is brilliant. But uh, he uh, asked what happens when they take all the music offline. And this morning, his mom left that open space for me. So this morning, I told him, like, that's why we have records. And it is. I'll be able to say to my kid, to Jesse's kid, like, we did this together. And, you know, barring the nuclear apocalypse, it'll always exist. And I always... I encourage the kids I mentor, I encourage all of you that are artists, print your shit out, print that photo, make a tape of that song, press it on wax so that it exists. Because when all, when Babylon crumbles, bro, we, we won't have a lot of this shit to be tangible. Make a t-shirt out of that, make a quilt out of that picture, whatever corny shit, it may seem corny or nobody's going to buy it, but it's not about who buys it, it's about having it. Because this shit is a temporary, it's temporary, man. And, you know, like the vinyl's not going to surprise the, or survive the apocalypse, but it's a shot. Yeah. Uh, Canby Can't Hold Shaq. I was a Knicks fan at the time. Uh, started being a Knicks fan around high school when I saw the Diamond D Best Kept Secret video. I was tired of being a Clippers fan. And when I became a man and realized I had a choice, I am now a Clippers fan again because I have kids and I want them to go see things and they're building a stadium in Inglewood, not far from my house. So, and, you know, my wife, it's the only sporting event. She likes to go to her hockey and basketball. So this is it. I'm back with the Clippers. But in high school, I made a choice to become a Knicks fan because I love the Diamond D Best Cave Secret video. I told Diamond D that, and he just looked at me weird, but that's cool. Hey, <laughs> You see, I skip to my loo like Napoleon at Waterloo. My name is Diamond D. Tell you what I'm going to do. I dip and I dab like a Mike Tyson jab. Even though this flab, I possess the gift of gab. I shoot it like a jammy. Girls get the panties in. Anthony Mason, that video is phenomenal. Anyway, so Camby, you know, even though I was a Knicks fan, he he, he just check I hate the Lakers. I, started, you know, I, started, I strongly dislike the Lakers. I used to hate the Lakers. I try not to hate anything now. But, yeah, he would just use Marcus Camby. Oh, my God. And I love Marcus Camby, but jeez Louise, bro. There was no stopping Shaq. So that, that was a reference. Um, second verse is just knowledge of self and uplifting things. It's knowledge of self. Knowing what you can and what you can't do. But learning to play the hand that God chose to hand you. I plan to double down when my turn comes around. I suggest you do the same. You can't take these chips with you. So it's best to play the game while this breath up in your brain. Just to death be the name. So I modern day composed for you latter day songs. 
people say my music helped them, and I didn't think I don't. I always blow that off, but I'm saying some pretty helpful things. But I'm mostly just talking to myself. But I'm glad it helped. I could see how these words may have helped someone in all humility, and that's dope. Um, but they were mostly for me. I was living with. Uh, my first living girlfriend and we were having arguments and drinking. I was drinking. I was starting to see a lot of my father. My father and my stepfather were very abusive to my mother, physically, verbally abusive to us all and not like rare, you know, like definite, dangerous, potentially to me, life-threatening situations is what I lived with for a long time. But to see those qualities I despise arise in me with arguments with my partner was alarming and definitely needed to be addressed. Uh, me stopping drinking, you know, like I said, it took me till Murray's Revenge to get clean. It took me Varsity Blues to realize I had a problem and a fight and a struggle to Murray's Revenge to finally get clean. Mentally, you know, I'm not dissing anybody that drinks or whatever, but just cigarettes, all that shit, to beat it all took me a while. I still drink on occasion, or drink a lot, you know, but I, I I I know myself and I know my limits. I don't need to drink around my kids. I don't need to drink at home every night. We can get into that later, but this was an open me struggle. I, you know, I know the cigarettes and alcohol hard to kill me. Um, I know that, you know, man's not a man if he has to hit a woman. All those things, man, it was the feelings I was having that I thought I would never feel. And I was feeling them and I was dealing with it. And Time out, time out, time out. Um, this is not part of the original broadcast. I am at a bar in Savannah, Georgia, and I had to make this clear. I talk fast and I cut myself off and I don't finish my thoughts a lot on this podcast. But listening back, I had to be clear. No, I was never physically abusive. I felt that energy, that type of anger. And that's what scared me. Verbally abusive to each other, definitely. but. Never, like, yeah, I, I I just felt disgusting even yelling and arguing with someone I love is, a woman I love is disgusting to me. So that's what I meant when I said I had to check my behavior and never, ever got to any physical altercation. Proceed. Um, you know, being accused of being feminine or feminine, whatever the term is, by my peers for years because I read and I still watch Disney movies and all that. I didn't think I was in danger of embracing toxic masculinity or being a toxic man, but I very much was and very much am. And you have to stay vigilant. You have to be self-aware. You have to be willing to correct your mistakes. You have to be willing to apologize. You have to be willing to, to hear perspective. And at the same time, maintain there are Parts of being, all masculinity is not toxic. And I think we're teetering over the edge now where it, it's a huge problem where any sort of masculine energy is is uh, seen as wrong or cancelable. And that's not right either. Everything in life is a balance. Use the force, Luke. Use the force, Luke. While living in this relationship, while living in Buena Park, um, being an insomniac, being an idiot, sleeping with the TV on, having a TV in the bedroom, not to judge you, but that's not for me um, with my mind, the way my mind works. TV was left on. Another magical moment uh, in my life. Man, we could have some music. Why in the world? 
I'm hearing this story about Jamaica and this kid on the beach in his VH1, whatever, the documentary show they used to have. And I'm like, oh shit, who's this reggae singer? Because I don't know, I, even though I look like it, I don't know fuck shit about reggae. I don't dance, I don't know nothing about that shit. I don't talk patois, I don't fucking really listen to reggae roots, nothing. I know what people tell me. Um, I know gangster rap and hip hop. But I'm hearing, like, okay, I'm learning something. Like, who is this kid? And he I'm like, oh, he was so inspired. He just started singing on the beach. And I start hearing the music, and I look up, and it's a white dude. I open my eyes, I'm like, what the fuck? And it starts telling the story of Bradley Noel from Sublime. And I, I'm enraptured. I love the music. It's so L.A. It's so me. I'm like, what the fuck? This is what these kids were wearing on the shirt. Early in the morning, rising to the street. We had a circle of people who did shrooms and smoke weed in high school and shit. We were all the exiles and weirdos before Snoop Dogg came out and made it cool. So I see my friends wearing a shirt and they would offer me to go to Sky shows or Chain Reaction. And I had heard all these things, but I didn't embrace it. And now I felt like an idiot. I literally woke up and drove to the warehouse and sat outside and bought every Sublime CD as it went and opened and became an instant fan. And my girlfriend at the time was basically like, how have you not heard this? I just had not been exposed to it. I didn't, and I've been exposed to it, but I didn't take the time to like, oh, these people that are smoking weed are probably into cool music too. They're counterculture as well. Punk, hip hop, it's all the same family. I didn't see that till I started meeting Mr. Dibbs and going on tour and like, yo, Sublime is to me one of the most important groups in the world. And later on, I would convince Idea. He would, we would, he would like the Beatles. I mean, he would learn to like Sublime because he thought it was corny bullshit, sky punk. And I would learn, he would teach me about the Beatles. And that was our other, one of our many, I won't say many, but our heartfelt ties. I love Mikey. I miss him dearly every day. And let's end it there. Sublime, Bradley, rest in peace. Yeah. And I, I start adding love is what I got and into that. And I do a sing along and it gets the crowd hype. It's a cheap pop. She heard a noise and she walked through the door. It's all man she never seen before. Light skin, light blue eyes. I like to honor and I feel like Mac Dre, Sublime, these are things I missed out on because I had prejudices and, and barriers or boundaries up that shouldn't have been up due to the way things looked or seemed. My personal biases kept me from enjoying. I could have seen Mac Dre live. I could have been ditching school to go to Sublime shows, not just organized confusion and Wu-Tang. I should have added that to the mix because um, I could have seen and been a part of these very important musical movements. So if you have any biases or anything, you know, holding you back from trying something new that's actually in your face and right there, just take it. That's why I don't sit back on experiences these days. Uh, love y'all. This is a long episode. I don't know how long it's going to be, but I'll uh, see you next week when we get to possibly the fourth song on the album. Thanks for listening to the Best Rapper in LA podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is. If you like the show, leave a review on Apple Music or Spotify. 
And to support the podcast directly, go to patreon.com slash M-U-R-S 316, March 316. See y'all next week. Peace, peace, peace.